0: Good morning everyone. It's good to see each one of you here. God's grace in our suffering. This is the yeah, my last message on suffering. So, what do you have to offer someone who is suffering? What would you tell them? Obviously, it would probably depend on what it is. But you have some competition. Listen to the music of the world. This is a song by Love and Theft called Runaway. It's been a long week. I've got a slow leak in my left front tire. I'm sick of where I work. My boss is such a jerk, and I don't care if I get fired. My back's about to break, no money in the bank, and she doesn't call me anymore. I'm down to my last drink. It's time to sell my things and pack my bags and never look back, run a parallel line with the railroad tracks, oh, and make my getaway. Is that your response? <clears throat> Let's run from our problems. Or how about this one? Daryl Worley sounds like life to me. That's the song title. So this song is in context. This guy's buddy's wife called him and said his buddy was having a hard time. So he drove down to Scully's and found him at the bar. He knew he knew his buddy and he knew where to go. He said, "Hey man, what's going on?" He said, "I don't know where to start." Sarah's old car is about to fall apart, and the washer quit last week. We had to put mom in the nursing home, and the baby's cutting teeth. I didn't get much work this week, and I've got bills to pay. I said, I know this isn't what you want to hear, but it's what I'm going to say. Sounds like life to me. It ain't no fantasy. It's just a common case of everyday reality. Man, I know it's tough, but you got to suck it up. To hear your talk, you're caught up in some tragedy, but it sounds like life to me. Is that what you would offer someone? Sounds like life. Get over it. You're not, what you're experiencing isn't any worse than anybody else. Stop complaining. But the world does welcome the suffering, Um, they they relate to them. And there's other songs that maybe don't even offer any guidance at all, but just a song of deep suffering and pain. But I would say that the advice that the world is giving isn't working. And I start out this way because I wanted to kind of give some contrast and get you thinking a little bit. What do you have to offer? And maybe it's something to think about, too, that we, kind of, we can get drawn into that in our suffering. We can turn to those things that, yeah, they kind of feel good to, to listen to or whatever. Those things influence us. But some questions to think about. Number one, where is God in our suffering? Does he care? Does he see me? Is God in control? Number two, does God give us strength to bear suffering? Where, how do I get that? Number three, what's the purpose of this suffering? What does God want me to learn? Number four, what do you want God to do? Do you want God to take away your suffering? Do you want him to give you endurance, motivation to keep going through the suffering? 1 Peter is a book on suffering, and you can turn to that. And I'm going to go blazing through it this morning. But Peter answers some of these questions. And helps us to look at things from God's point of view. And I think that's really important. So, starting in chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. So, this is Peter's greeting, and notice it is written to believers. It's written to you. Let's keep going. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which, according to his abundant mercy, hath begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, close my Bible, that's enough, right? There's a lot here, but this puts a couple things in perspective. It puts me in perspective because I'm the sinner. I'm the one that needed saving. I'm not a good person. And God, who is above all things, reached down and rescued me. He gave me a promise of an inheritance undefiled that's waiting in heaven. And this salvation is given to us who are kept by the power of God, or the power of God, the forgiveness of sins that only God can do, or God alone can do, through faith in him. This all hinges on our faith, right? Is there anything else that we need in life other than this. Is this enough? <clears throat> what is our suffering in comparison to what to this? So, this puts our suffering in perspective a little bit. The heavy work is done. Okay? All that's left is Gary's small problems. Our small Problems. verse six Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations or testings, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So we rejoice in this. This is wonderful. It's amazing. But we realize that this all hinges on our faith, and God tests our faith. He works on it. He proves it. And our faith is precious, more precious than gold. And the goal of this testing is to make sure our faith is right, and it's pure, and it's true. And what rejoicing at this salvation that we have. And he goes on and talks about that the prophets diligently looked into this salvation and, and when it would come. But it, and, and they looked up to the prophets like the prophets were there. You know, you didn't say anything bad about the prophets, but it wasn't for them. It was for us. And, and just, yeah, he goes on and talks about the wonder that that is. So be holy, live a godly life. Treat this gift with respect, because Jesus shed his blood for it, his precious blood for this. <clears throat> and now let's go to verse 22 of chapter 1. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart, fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass." The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. So, understand the corruptible, excuse me, and the incorruptible. We're living in corruptible bodies. So, I would say don't be surprised by the afflictions that we get, by the toothache, by the broken bones, by the whatever, you name it. We are living in corruptible bodies, and that's what God saved us out of. But, and I'm going to jump here, I'm just going to read this. This is First Corinthians fifteen fifty through 54. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, For the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on corruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. I think physical pain gets us ready for heaven. It helps us to not love the corruptible too much. It's good for us. And then Peter goes on into chapter two um, with some encouragement, pointing to who we are in Christ, but also saying that there are those who stumble at the word, there are unbelievers. And those you know, not only is it physical things that can cause suffering, but it's it's the people around us. And he actually goes through like all the way up to chapter four talking about people and how we should relate to them. Um, Yeah, let's read chapter 2, verses 11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him, for the punishment of evil-doers, and for the praise of them that do well, for so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it, if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if, when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. So in other words, I think if if we are suffering with the people in our lives, then make sure that you're not the cause of it, right? Make sure it isn't because of the way you're treating others, If you suffer for doing wrong, well, that's to be expected. Um, so, let's make sure we're not doing wrong. Let's make sure we're treating people kindly. And then verses, uh, starting up again at verse 21. For even here, to, here unto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. So, just like Jesus suffered to bring us into the kingdom of God, so we should be willing to suffer as an example to help others into the kingdom of god and this i think brings a little bit of meaning to our suffering are you willing to be used as an example to the unbelievers around you are you willing to be to suffer for their sakes are you willing to give whatever life you have left for god to use however he would please And then Peter goes on in chapter 3 talking about um, or giving examples of how a wife should love her unbelieving husband, and the husband should love his wife. And the goal is to, um, like in verse 1 it says, um, that if any obey not the word, they may also without the word be won by the conversation or the conduct of the wife. So the way we, we live is an example to others. Okay, and I was going to read verses 14 through 16 of chapter 3. But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that, whereas they speak evil of you, as evildoers they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good Conversation or your good conduct in Christ. So, <clears throat> again, our suffering for good can point others to Christ. And if you do, don't be surprised that you'll have those conversations. That people will come and ask you, "Well, how can you handle that?" Good opportunity to to share the gospel. Um, and then chapter four it continues the theme of not suffering in sin, but be, being willing to love those around you that are coming out of sin. Again, if if you're being an example, people are coming to you for, um, you know, asking these things and you share the gospel with them, hopefully there will be people that are coming out of sin um, because of your example. And I want to read chapter 4, verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every, every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And that verse verse 9, use hospitality one to another without grudging, isn't hospitality like, you know, you inviting your friends over or whatever. It's It's... Explained in verse 10, I believe, it says, as every man has received the gift, even so minister the same to each other. So, as you've received the grace of God, now go give that grace to someone else. <clears throat> and, you know, in one of my, earlier I talked about suffering and temptation. Well, here's how you treat someone suffering in temptation, or someone who has sinned. And then go into verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit and glory of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. So remember. Peter's theme of of these trials testing our faith, so don't be surprised when the testing comes, fiery testing. It's not a strange thing. Um, this is also happening to the others in the world, and uh, we it says to uh, to rejoice in verse thirteen, and we can be glad, and it's it's not a um, Not rejoicing that we're suffering, but rejoicing that the glory of God rests upon us. Be glad that it's purifying you, and that when Jesus is revealed in all his glory, that you'll be with him. Is that enough for you? Is it enough for you in suffering to know that you have been saved, that the glory of God is resting upon you? Starting up again here in verse fifteen, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other man's, men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must first begin. Sorry, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us. What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. So I believe that Peter is talking about suffering because of our faith in this part. But the theme is the same. We suffer, and the suffering tests us. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. It is a trial of our precious faith and an example to others. And then going into chapter 5, he kind of closes out his letter and uh, he gives some practical advice. And in the the first few verses, he talks to leaders and says to feed the flock. And in the context, I would say that we're to watch for those that are suffering, be willing to help. And also, we as leaders are supposed to be examples in suffering. And I want to pick on, or pick up in verse 5 of chapter 5. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So be humble. It's so hard to do, but be humble. Sometimes we think it's okay for others to go through something really hard. But when it's us, we're not willing. Or it can be that part of it where we think, you know, we're just... It shouldn't happen to us. We're too good for this. Like, God shouldn't deal that way with us. Um, Or it can go the other way where we say, well, everybody needs to take notice. Like, look at me. here i am suffering like you know do my work for me do do everything for me and that's not good either <clears throat> we are to be humble and verse 6 humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of god that he may exalt you in due time you are under the mighty hand of god i hope you're willing to submit to his will And he may exalt you in due time. Um, He may restore you, but the timing's up to him. And be willing to to let that up to him. And verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. And he does care for you. That much is obvious. Look, Look at what all he's done for you. God is not wasting this time in your life. He's bringing something good. He may be strengthening your faith or reaching someone around you. But yeah, whatever the case, God cares for you. Do you think that he has a plan to care for your family while you're in the middle of your suffering? Do you think that uh, he has a plan to make sure you have food and clothing, shelter? He can take care of you. Let's keep going into verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. And this is interesting because I've found that when life is good and things are fine, I get really lazy. Right? Can you identify with that? Suffering makes us do the work. And, uh, so be sober, be vigilant. We have an adversary that we're supposed to resist by being steadfast in the faith. And that's the whole goal. Um, let me remind you of, in chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, and whom, though now Now you see him not, yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So that steadfast faith is what we're looking for. And God isn't working this just in your life, but in the lives of everyone around you, all over the world, believers all over the world. Verse 10 But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. Doesn't that sound good to the person in the middle of suffering? That God would make you perfect, restore you, make you whole again, establish you, that you would have a firm foundation again, that God would strengthen you, You'd be filled with strength for what is ahead of you and to settle you, to have a firm foundation. So I don't think this is a stretch. I think it's it's real. God does test our faith. He searches our hearts, and he knows exactly what we need. Each thing that comes into our life becomes a test. He wants to see what you're going to do. How are you going to respond? Or maybe he wants to show you what you're going to do in this situation. So I want you to think about it. What has your response in your suffering looked like? How have you responded? Is it a response that would be similar to those songs that I read that you run? Or that you respond without faith that, oh, this is just normal life and, you know, basically a godless approach? <clears throat> just give me something to numb the pain. Here are nine things that I want you to remember. And this in my opinion, is God's gift in suffering. This is God's grace in our suffering. The greatest work, number one, the greatest work that you need is already done. Redemption. You're saved. God has worked the greatest thing that you need. Number two, our faith is precious. More precious than anything. More precious than gold. And God purifies it. He makes it better. Number three, this world is corruptible. Our bodies are corruptible. But we're headed for incorruption. Number four, suffer like Jesus did. He was willing to suffer so that we could be saved. Be willing to suffer as an example to others. That can be really hard. We go through something really hard, and for somebody to say, well, it's for somebody else, that doesn't feel very good. But be willing to suffer for other people. Number five, God is using your suffering for good, for you and for others, even though you may not see it now. Number six, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. Be willing to let God decide. What is best? Number seven, God cares about you and He has a plan for the things that you are worried about. Trust God with it. Number eight, be sober and vigilant. How can I use my suffering for the kingdom of God? So wake up, pay attention. Number nine, look forward to the time when all suffering will cease. Won't that be amazing? Now, I know, I know this could be hard to hear. Um, maybe it's something that you've been dealing with for years, and here's Gary up here telling you that that's not the most important thing in your life. But it's true. Your salvation is the most important thing, your faith. And so you can have joy in the midst of your trial because of what God has done. God has saved you. And you're headed to a place where there will be no more suffering. And if that's the case, we need to act like it. I had somebody tell me one time, well, okay, I'm going to keep going here. Um, We also, okay, in our suffering, the way we respond, we can use our suffering as as an excuse to sin. Okay, so, we can be fine, and everything, but when it gets really hard, then we get grouchy and we get angry and we get frustrated, and and we use that to justify the bitterness in our hearts and the the anger, or maybe the um, maybe the what's the word? The I don't know if sorrow is the right word, but we can kind of get stuck there. Um, and it's okay to be to be sorry for it, or not sorry, but um, to mourn it, like, that's good, but we can't stay there, okay? <clears throat> but we use our suffering as an excuse um, to not live how we should, to not live a, a godly Christian life, a life of victory, um, a life of joy, of peace. I had somebody tell me one time, I was really going through a hard time, and I was, somebody looked me in the face and said, Gary, you're angry, and it was true. And we can't do that, like, yeah. We can't let our suffering in our life overcome the mighty work that God has done. Let's stand for prayer. I want to bless you with a couple of verses here. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while... Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen.